I don't know how many of you have gone uh, diamond shopping. Have you ever gone shopping for a diamond? I've done it once in my life, and it was when I knew I was going to propose to my now wife, to Joanna. So it's been almost uh, 14 years ago that I went diamond shopping, the one time that I did that. And I read off, and I didn't know anything about what I was doing or what I was going, but I remember reading some articles before I went. And you go into the store, and you ask to see diamonds, and you start talking about these things. I was looking for an engagement ring. And they pull out this big black cloth and they pull out the diamonds and they lay them out and they start with this really little one. And then they try to show you a great big one and all in between. And and they do all this. But what you see when you go into these stores is they lay out the diamonds and they put it on this backdrop of this black cloth. And they have this special lighting and all this stuff. And it just makes them look brilliant. It makes them look much greater than they would in any other environment because of this backdrop and the way it is and the perfect lighting and all this kind of stuff. And I was thinking about that and I was remembering those times of going into those places and doing that and not knowing what I was doing. But but seeing that and seeing the brilliance of it and the way that they laid it out. And I thought, you know, that's really a good analogy of how God can use our lives and use us when we walk through hard times. The darker the background, the darker that's surrounding, the more clearly that the light shines through. The more brilliant the diamond looks on the background of this dark backdrop. And so I was thinking about that this morning as we're continuing in this series that we've been talking about. How do we trust God in the midst of suffering? How do we walk with him through that? What's he teaching us? What uh, do we take away from that? We spent the first four weeks really looking at great, big, huge theological truths that are foundational, that God is sovereign. And even when we don't understand, he is still in control and that he's near us and that he's with us. That he came down in the incarnation in Christ and walked on earth. He knows what we go through. He's going to regenerate and remake this world. And the, the process and what she's doing that includes all that we see in our world today. And so we talked about those great big huge things. And then last week and then, and then continuing this week, we're really starting to look at what is he teaching us in the midst of it. It's one thing to know the theological foundations and go, yes, I can trust and I can see God in this and in this. And I know those things. But what about when you're right in the middle of it? Well, God's teaching us as we walk through those things. And last week we looked at Romans five and we talked about how when we begin to walk through those things and we persevere, it reveals proven character and proven character, hope. And then we see more clearly God's spirit moving in that. And so we talked about that last week. But this week, I want us to think about uh, the backdrop that it provides in our life when we walk through hard things for God to shine more brightly. And I think there's no better place outside of Jesus himself to look at that than the life of the Apostle Paul. If you know anything about Paul, uh, if you've read the Bible at all, if you've read through Acts at all, if you've read any of Paul's letters, what you see is that he was persecuted mercilessly throughout his life. He was so sold out for his faith and who Christ is and what he had done in his life. He would go into very difficult places and oftentimes it would end with him being beaten or stoned or shipwrecked or thrown in jail or or many other things that Paul endured in his life. And so when we think about physical suffering, we think about the hardships of walking through life. We look at Paul and we see a man that went through a lot, a whole lot. And yet what we see is this incredible example of how he sees and uses his life in the midst of those things. And so we're going to look at that passage I just read to you from Philippians chapter one this morning and think about that and think about that picture of how God is moving, how he's teaching us, what he's showing us in the midst of very difficult times, what he teaches us right in the midst of it. 
And I think when we look at Philippians 1 and we look at what Paul says, he gives us some real practical, helpful things to consider on, on how God begins to use us in the midst of those times. And so the questions I want us to ask or the way I want us to look at this is, is the first thing. And there's an outline in your bulletin. We try to put it there often. Uh, it's there this week. It's got kind of the three main things we're going to hit on. And so if that helps you and you want to follow along, it's there for you. But essentially what we're going to do is just look at the perspective first, the perspective that Paul has. There's this perspective that leads to being uh, uh, ready, willing, accepting of God using you in all things. And so first we look and think about the perspective that he has, the right perspective. Secondly, how can God use us in that when we're, when we're operating out of this perspective, how can God use us? And then lastly, what are the outcomes? Because there's some incredible outcomes that you see here in Paul's life and seeing it that way. And so we're going to look at the perspective. And then when we have that perspective, how God uses that, and then what are the outcomes? And so let's just start right there at the beginning with the perspective that we see Paul uh, having and exhibiting in the way he walks through this. And let me just remind you, I've said this every week as we've gone through this. We're going to look specifically at some things that Paul says and the way he's seeing it. But I want to remind you that that's all built on everything we've said to this point. We've said over and over that the way Scripture deals with suffering is a multi-sided, multi-faceted thing. It's not just one answer. It's just this or it's just that. It's that you see God in all these different ways, that He knows our suffering. He's with us in our suffering. He's sovereign. He's working through suffering. All those things that we've talked about the last few weeks all lay the foundation on which Paul's standing that gives him this perspective. And so make sure that we see that. That's what we've talked about over and over. We can't put it in one little box that it's just this or it's just that. It's all of this together. And so, but look at what Paul says, because it gives us a good picture of his perspective in the midst of that. And so in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And I just want to stop right there for just a second and think about the picture that's there and what Paul's talking about. He is in jail for sharing Christ. He's in jail for sharing his faith. And now he's in prison. He's in prison. He can't go on his missionary journeys. He can't do all the things that he felt God was calling him to. He can't go and he's stuck there in prison. And yet his perspective on being in prison that he looks at is he goes that God has served. He's used this to advance the gospel, even this. And so you see Paul saying that even when I am in prison, even at this time, even at these difficult times, his perspective is I'm expecting that God's going to use this right now where I am. He doesn't write and say, brothers, I'm biding my time until I can get out and then God can use me. He says, I see right here in the midst of my imprisonment that God is being used in the advance of the gospel is going out. And so he has this perspective that God is going to use him right in the midst of what he's going through. Now, we talked about last week, and again, I always feel like I have to balance this out and be careful how we say it. There are times when you walk into difficult things and your first thought is not going to be, how is God going to be glorified in this? And we talked about that last week. There's times when it's just persevering through and there's a lot of asking questions. It's like we looked at in the book of Job the very first week. God, I don't know what's going on and I'm not sure how you're using this and I'm not sure. And that is perfectly legitimate. I think when you look at Paul's life, this comes from experience. It comes from this happening to Paul over and over and over. And Paul living out Romans five that we looked out last week, perseverance, 
to proven character, to hope. He's seen all that in his life over and over. And so this is a a cumulative effect of, of walking with God through many difficult things. And so if you say and you sit here today and you're in the middle of a hard time and you go, man, I have a hard time just saying, how is God going to be glorified in this? That's understandable. It's hard. It's hard when you're right in the middle of it. But God's working and walking through us. And so what you see in Paul's life is that he's starting to see this understanding that he has been walking with God for so long that he starts to ask these questions. But I also want to ask the question to you that I say that. Here's Paul saying, how's God going to be glorified where I am in my suffering? But I just want to ask the question, do you say that when things are good? Forget that it may be hard when it's in suffering, but do you walk through your day each day and the blessings you have and the opportunities you have going, how is God going to be glorified in my life today? Is that even on your radar? Do you ever think that? Forget if it's a hard time or a good time. Set that aside. Are you thinking that way? Does that enter your thought process? And I think the picture that we see in Scripture is we begin to see who God is and what He's done and what He saved us from, and what He has saved us to through His Son, Jesus Christ, that makes perfect sense. The more you see who God is, and the more you see who Christ is, and the more you see what He's done, you go, yes. Paul knew his entire life was indebted to Christ. He was persecuting the church. He was going against those things. He was not following God, and God literally knocked him off his horse. So what are you doing? And he opened his eyes and Paul changed completely and he went and he saw that everything that he was, he saw so clearly his sin before a holy and perfect God. And he saw how Jesus is the one that took his sin and restored him to God. And he said, my entire life is this now. That question of how am I going to glorify God in my life is going to make as much sense uh, in your life as how you see Jesus. If you see that every bit of who I am and what I do and where I go is all indebted to Christ and what he's done for me, then that question makes perfect sense. If you don't, then it seems ridiculous. Why would I care? And so I just ask that question. That's something you have to ask of yourself. Does it make sense to you whether bad times or good times at all? How would I glorify God in my life? And so what Paul saw and what he knew in his life is absolutely all that I have is Jesus. And so his perspective is I'm all about the gospel and everything I do everywhere I go. And you see part of that at the end of this this passage that we're looking at in verse 19. Look at what he says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage. Now, as always, Christ is to be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. He says, it's all Jesus, everything I've got. Every bit of it, and that's my perspective on the way I look and the way I'm going to go forward in my life. If you understand that your hope, as we just sang, if you could sing the words that we just sang, my hope is built on nothing else. Except Jesus, my righteousness before God is only Jesus and nothing else. Then it makes sense to ask questions like, how will God be glorified in this? And that's the perspective that Paul has. That's the way he sees everything. 
That's the way he sees being beaten and put in jail. All right. I've got this expectation that God is going to be glorified in that. And that's the perspective. And so when we ask that question, what is the perspective that Paul has that even in the midst of difficult things, how does God begin to shine brightly in our hardest times? We walk into it going, how is God going to be glorified in this? And again, just say, when you walk into that asking that question, you may be asking that question for a long time. There may be many years where you're going, I'm not sure I'm seeing where he's going to be glorified in this. And that can be very difficult, but that's the perspective that Paul has. And so the second thing I want us to think and look at is, is how does God to begin to use that? Because that's Paul's perspective. How is God going to be glorified? So how does God use that? And the very next thing you see, look at verse 13, right? He says, I want you to know that this is serving for the advance of the gospel. And then 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He says, so don't worry about me. Yes, I'm stuck in jail right now. But guess what? All the guards know about Jesus now. Right. That's what he says. This is the whole imperial guard. All the guys, all these Roman soldiers, the highest up Roman soldiers, the ones that have been set apart as the very best at what they do to be in this guard. Guess what? They all know who Jesus is now. He says, and all the rest. And so his perspective is, how is God going to be glorified? Well, God's going to be glorified because I'm going to tell everybody, whether it's the guards in the prison or I'm out on the street, it doesn't matter. And so that's the way Paul lives and moves and has uh, the way he works, the way he sees that. And so you ask that question, or I do, I think, well, what did that look like? What did it look like with Paul in prison with these great big guards and all around him? And I'm making an assumption, but I feel comfortable saying this because of Acts 16, because in Acts 16, we see this other picture of Paul and Silas being in prison. Do you know this story? They're thrown into jail. They're beaten. They're thrown into jail and then they're sitting in jail. And it says uh, Acts 16:25. about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. They've just been beaten. I mean, really beaten, not just roughed up a little. They've been beating, beaten. And so imagine they're sitting there in their chains, bloody, hurting, messed up, and they're praying and singing praises to God. And so I go, what does it look like when he says the whole imperial guard knows that I'm in jail for Jesus? I'm guessing there was some praying and some praises and some preaching right where he is. And so Paul's perspective is, how's God going to be used in this? Well, I'm going to do it wherever I am. And you start to see, well, how does God use that? People are hearing about who he is and, and what he's done, who Christ is and what he's done. This perspective leads to seeing it as an opportunity when we're in difficult times to shine a light more brightly on Jesus. And so he tells you, he says, they've all heard. Everybody around me knows why I'm here. And you start to think about that picture and what a beautiful picture it is. And it goes perfectly with everything else Paul says in this passage. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Every moment I have and every breath I take, it's going to be about Jesus. Whether in prison or whether I'm in want or needing, as he'll say, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to see it that way. He says it in 2 Corinthians 5. Christ died for us. And those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He says, my whole life is now Jesus. Everything I've got is because of him. 
And it makes sense with that perspective. And then it opens your eyes to opportunities of now I get to make much of Jesus, even in a difficult time. As I thought about that picture that's there, uh, an example kept coming to mind that goes back. I was kind of shocked that it was eight years ago. But eight years ago, there was a school shooting, which is sadly, I say a school shooting. That doesn't really tell you anything. There's been a whole lot of school shootings. But eight years ago, there was a school shooting in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Do you remember that? In the middle of an Amish community in a one-room schoolhouse. So it's a little different than the shootings you see in a great big public school with lots of people involved. It was one room. And the guy went in and he took a bunch of people hostage and he ended up shooting a bunch of little girls from the ages of 6 to 13. He shot 10 of them. Five died and then he killed himself. And this all happened very quickly in the midst of all this. And if you remember that story at all, as it came out and what happened, and you think of a community like that, the one-room schoolhouse, you often think of that's the safe place and everybody's together. And and he goes into the midst of that and shatters all that. And it was horrible. Senseless, senseless violence. Just evil picture of evil. I remember that story and what happened after it. But the amazing part of that story that began to come out Right now, the Amish people were not coming forward and holding press conferences and talk. They just don't do that. But started to leak out what was going on within their community in the midst of this. And one of the first things that was known or was said was one of the grandfathers of the little girl that was killed said, we must not think evil of this man that did this. And the news and everybody went, what in the world is he talking about? How can he say that right now in the midst of this? And so one of his neighbors, someone else in the community, came out and actually kind of gave a quote. And this is what they said, uh, trying to clarify what he said to make sense of it. I don't think there's anybody here who wants to do anything but forgive. And not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss in that way, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. People went, what? You're going to do what? Yeah, we want to reach out to the killer it's family, because we know they're hurting too. And we want to forgive, and we want to see healing coming out. And people just were shocked at what happened. And if you know that story, over the next couple of weeks, some amazing things happened. I was reading back over some different stories just this past week, trying to refresh my memory. One of them was there was a, a man from the Amish community that went to visit the father of the killer and ended up standing there holding him as he sobbed for an hour, comforting him. And you go, wow. Can you imagine that picture? The guy that just took the life to the father and he goes and he spends time with them. Or they invited, uh, they, uh, 30 some odd people from this community went to the killer's funeral to support their family. Or one of the families invited the mother of the killer to come to her child's funeral that had just died. And you start to hear all these things and you go, what in the world? Right? That's what people were asking. That's what the world watching was asking. And it got to the end of it and a couple of months removed. And the mother of the killer in all this said this. An, an open letter to the community in the way that they had loved her. Your love for our family has helped to provide healing we so desperately needed. Gifts you have given have touched our hearts in a way that no words could describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and it is changing our world. And for this, we sincerely thank you. The backdrop of horrible, horrible evil. Senseless, senseless violence. 
And this community pulls together and goes, here's our opportunity to show the world what grace and forgiveness looks like. And the world went, what? In fact, a lot of people wrote editorials after that said that's, they've done it wrong. They should be angry and they should want justice and this is not right and they shouldn't skip straight to forgiveness. And a lot of people agreed with that and said, yeah, I can see that. And what about that? And it's easy for us to begin to think that way. But the truth is, isn't that a perfect picture of our own story? Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Or Ephesians 2, we were following all the courses of our life and everything that we want and our own things and ignoring God. But God in his mercy opened our eyes to Jesus. It's the exact same. And when we begin to see that, when we see that that's the case, you begin to see exactly this perspective that Paul has. I'm going to use every opportunity I have. That's what the Amish community was doing. We're going to use this opportunity to share uh, love and grace and forgiveness, even in the midst of all these horrible, horrible things. And so it's very difficult in the midst of a really trying time, but it's also a wonderful opportunity to shine forth the love of Christ. It's just like that black backdrop that the diamonds suddenly pop way more on. When we walk through those things, we have these opportunities. And so you see this perspective. You see how God begins to use it. People are hearing the name of Jesus. They're seeing. I mean, imagine Paul singing his praises in prison. I can hear it now. Have you seen the crazy guy that's singing? He's been beaten and he's in jail, but yet he's still praising God. Right. It's this beautiful picture of how important Christ is and it begins to shine forth. And so then the question becomes, what are the outcomes of all this? When we see this perspective and when we begin to walk in this way and we begin to magnify Christ in all things, what happens? We go back to 13 and he says they've come to know about Christ. They all know that my imprisonment is for Jesus. And so real simple and straightforward is people begin to see the majesty of Jesus. This is so important that even now I'm going to praise him. Even right now in the midst of this, I'm going to hold his name up. I remember a couple years ago, I think it's been, man, I'm getting old. There are all these things I think were like last year and then I look it up and it's like five years ago. I think it's five years ago, Matt Chandler is a pastor in Dallas, Texas. If you've ever heard his name, he's in a big church in Dallas, Texas. And five years ago, he found out he had a brain tumor. And I remember hearing that. I don't know Matt Chandler personally, but I've always liked him a lot. He's a great preacher. He loves the Lord. He's very bold in his witness. God's done a lot of great things through him. And I went, oh, Matt Chandler has a tomb. Oh, I remember praying for him. At the time, five years ago, he's my age now. He was 37 with three little kids. And they're saying, you probably have a year to live. And I remember just being, oh, praying for Matt Chandler. And then a friend said, hey, have you seen the video that the village church, the church where he is pastor, just posted? I said, no. And I went home and I looked it up and there he was standing in an empty church. And he said, by now you've probably heard that I have a brain tumor and I just wanted to tell you one thing. And he starts talking about Hebrews 11 and how God works in great things. And he said, I've been preaching Hebrews 11 and by faith God has done all these wonderful things. And he said, then you get to verse 35 and it says, and some were t- torn in two and some were thrown in jail and some were beaten. And he said, and yet they still had faith. And he said, so here's my message. 
Jesus is still in control and I still love Jesus more than anything else and I'm going to say it more loudly right now than I ever have in my life. And I went, yes! And this incredible thing happened. All these news stories pick it up, start coming to him, interviews, how are you dealing with this, how are you walking through this, and every time Matt Chandler is standing there, it's the gospel over and over. Christ has died for my sins. He's made every... I, I want to beat this. I want to be with my kids. But if not, praise God. And that's what he said over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, Jesus shines brightly over all else in the midst of those very difficult times. And God used that and he honored that. Right now, Matt Chandler has no more uh, cancer. There's no traces of cancer. God healed him. He saw fit to heal him. And he's still using him. He's now the president of Acts 29, doing great things for God's kingdom. But even what he said, even if he would have died a year later, God would have still been God and we would have still praised him. And it's a beautiful picture when you think of it in those terms. And that's very difficult sometimes. But to see that is the backdrop. And so what happens is Jesus is magnified. In those difficult times, he's seen as even great, even in this. But look what else he says. Verse 14. And most of the brothers have been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much bold to speak the word without fear. There's a great encouragement to others. When people can see Christ sustaining you and you lifting him up. I remember watching that video of Matt Chandler and being so encouraged. And the little things that I'm worried about and I complain about. And there he is going, praise God. It was a great encouragement. It's the same thing Paul says, that people are hearing that I'm getting to spread the gospel even in prison and even right now, and now they're more excited about doing it too. And so it's an encouragement. It's what we talked about last week. Perseverance, when we walk through things, proven character, proven character, hope, gives us a confident assurance in what is to come. And it gives us that in our own hearts, but it gives that to others. That's what Paul's talking about. Other people are now seeing this and they're being more bold in their witness. And then also look ahead 15 to 18. We're almost done here, but just a couple other things he says. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. You understand what he's saying? There's some, we don't know the fullness of what's going on around Paul, but there were people preaching Jesus, preaching the gospel, proclaiming Christ, but kind of doing it uh, backhanded, almost to put Paul down. I don't know what was going on. My guess is it's something like what we would say today, like a health and wealth gospel. That if you love Jesus enough, God will insulate you and you'll have no suffering. Because that would fit, would it not? Well, look at Paul. He must have done something because he's in jail. And so we can see those kind of things. And Paul says, you know what? I hear that and I know that's going on, but who cares as long as we're making much of Jesus? Now, that doesn't mean doctrine's not important. It doesn't mean scripture's not important. It doesn't mean we don't hold to those things or we seek to correct bad theology when it's there. But you see the overarching of what's going on with Paul. In the midst of all this, I'm most concerned that Jesus is held high. 
And so it gives you a perspective in your life of what's truly important. He's like, I'm not going to go fight with these guys over here. I'm just going to keep talking about Jesus. And if they're talking about him too, then great. And that's his perspective. And you see what happens is it kind of changes the way you interact and the way you think in some of those areas. But then lastly, and we'll end here, the very last thing he says there in verse 19 and then into 20. Right. So he says they're proclaiming Christ. And in that I rejoice. And he says, yes, I will rejoice. And then he goes on to say, because of the confident expectation, I know that Christ is going to be magnified in this. I know this is going to happen. I know Habakkuk, too, that the God's glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's going to happen. And so I'm going to rejoice. Which is what he said to us last week. Paul writing, rejoice in our sufferings. Even in the midst of this, and even when I'm struggling with these things, I am going to rejoice that Christ's name is being lifted up in this. And so we talk about the outcomes of when we have this perspective and we say, I have an opportunity to make much of Jesus even in this hard time. It can lead to rejoicing even in the hardest of times. There he is sitting in prison. I'm rejoicing because the gospel's going forth. And so God has wonderful opportunities and plans for us even in the most difficult of circumstances. He can use you right where you are, even when it's a very black backdrop to go, I'm going to magnify my name even right now. And remember, it takes all of what we've talked about, all those things working together, seeing all of who God is and what he's done for us and the way he connects that for us to really see and trust that. But there are wonderful opportunities in our lives, even in difficult times, to make much of Jesus. And that is a gift. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you care for us, that you keep us, that you walk with us. Even in the midst of difficult times that you are there leading and guiding and working. I pray that you would help us to see that. I pray that when we are in the difficult, difficult times and we don't want to ask that question. When we're struggling to see how you would be glorified in it, I pray that you give us patience. I pray that you'd give us uh, your spirit and your love dwelling in us, that we could rest in what you've done for us and that we are yours and that you are at work. I thank you for the many testimonies, even in this place of people that have done just this, that have glorified you in the midst of their suffering and the ways you're using that. And for that, I thank you. I pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.